The forgiveness factor, this is really important. Is it possible to receive forgiveness from God? Is it necessary to receive forgiveness from God? Is it necessary to forgive others? All of these are really important issues that we're going to cover on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Is it possible to receive forgiveness from God? Is it necessary? to receive forgiveness from God? And is it necessary to forgive others? These are questions that need to be answered that we can all relate to because all of us deal with a sense of guilt, a sense of remorse, a feeling of sorrow, and deep depression sometimes because of former failures and also because of damage that's been done against us by the attitudes of others and how we deal with that, how we release them from that. And if we should, or if we have to, all of these things are really important. I'm going to compare ideas in a number of different religions on how to deal with this issue. And then we're going to compare them all to Christianity. For instance, we'll be touching on beliefs in Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Shinto, and New Age spirituality, and as I said, comparing those concepts to Christianity. Let's start with Buddhism. Actually, in Buddhism, there is no concept of a creator God, and so there's no concept of actually appealing to a creator to be forgiven of sin. It's absent from that religion. However, one of the main things emphasized in Buddhism is the development of compassion, which would include forgiveness. It's very necessary as a Buddhist to make that choice to forgive others, to be compassionate toward others. But that's a one-sided view of the issue. If you can't receive forgiveness from God, then you're locked inside of the sins of your own past. What about the religion of Japan, Shinto? Shintoists believe in personal cleanliness. It's a very strong belief in that worldview. They typically bathe, wash their hands, even rinse their mouths frequently before they go to some shrine dedicated to a deity that they worship. The emphasis on cleanliness reflects the Shinto attitude towards sin. Shintoists believe that certain evil deeds called kagare, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, it means dirtiness, can create a kind of ritual impurity in a person. And so the opposite of that is kiyomei, and kiyomei means purity. Sin does not require forgiveness from the gods. The gods are kami, K-A-M-I, in Shinto. 
and you don't have to appeal to them to be forgiven. Rather, sin is a state that causes discomfort for the person who commits it, and a sinner can restore a sense of contentment by purifying himself or herself from the dirtiness of the evil deed. Of course, my contention as a Christian is that you can't cleanse yourself because we are all accountable to the Creator for the misdeeds of our past. And so we receive forgiveness from Him. It's a different mindset in Shinto altogether. What about Islam? Does Islam provide this idea of forgiveness to its adherents? Well, in the Quran, chapter 39 and verse 53, it says, despair not of the mercy of God, for God forgives all sins except continued association of him with other partners or deities. In other words, that's one of the worst sins you can commit according to Islam. It's called shirk. It's assigning divinity to anything or anyone other than Allah. And that's an unforgivable sin, unforgivable. But other than that, According to this particular verse, he is oft forgiving and most merciful. However, there's no basis for receiving forgiveness offered in Islam. There's nothing that you can point to as proof that because of that, I can claim and expect forgiveness. Next, what about Hinduism? and its more modern offspring, which we term New Age spirituality. Well, those worldviews emphasize reincarnation and karma. In order for the evolution of the soul to take place, it must go through numerous incarnations, and according to Hindu doctrine, that happens over a million times. Think of it. This leaves little room for forgiveness coming from God because every negative thing, every evil thing that is wrought in this life must receive retribution in the form of karmic debt being paid off either later on in this life or in the next life. And no one can be released from the cycle of rebirths. No one can experience samadhi, ultimate bliss, uh, unless they pay off all their karmic debt. And so Hindus may appeal to God to be forgiven, and there are certain rituals uh, that are supposed to cleanse them of the negative karma. However, the dominating mindset is that negative deeds, sinful deeds, have some kind of recompense in the future that must be paid in order for that karmic debt to be canceled. Most New Agers embrace the same kind of mindset. What about a very popular book called The Secret and the concept it contained, The Law of Attraction? Does that even deal with forgiveness? Well, that recent mushrooming megatrend that took place around 2006 isn't at all about receiving forgiveness from God. Quite the opposite. It professes that you are God, and so you certainly don't have to seek forgiveness from God if you are God. And it doesn't talk about the cleansing of the soul. Rather, 
The law of attraction is about manipulating the universe through the right kind of positive thoughts and positive confessions to grant you your wishes. It's not about being restored to relationship with a personal God. And even though that was a very popular megatrend, it certainly doesn't deal with one of the basic needs of human beings expressed in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, where God said, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, if they will seek my face, he said, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. A fundamental principle in Judaism and a fundamental principle of life. Let's explore, though, another book that is very, very popular among New Agers that actually emphasizes forgiveness. However, in a different slant altogether than the Bible. And that book is A Course in Miracles by Helen Shukman. Helen Shukman and her colleague, William Thetford, were... uh, part of a team of medical professors at Columbia University, and they were professionals, and they worked together in a professional setting, but there was a lot of hostility that was taking place between them in this highly academic place, and by their own admission, their relationship was full of anger, full of resentment, and hostile all the time. One day, William, the head of the department, announced that there must be a better way. And around June of 1965, they proceeded to seek it out, that there's got to be a better way to live. See, there is a common desire in all human beings to find relief for the anxieties of the soul, for the depression that plagues all of us. How do we deal with this? And the anger that rises to the surface, the unforgiveness, the bitterness we feel toward others. So anyway, they began to seek after answers. And after several months, Helen Shookman started receiving what she felt were symbolic dreams and strange images that were communicating messages to her. And she felt it was the guidance and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And over a course of seven years, Helen Shookman dictated to William what she felt was communicated to her by a quote-unquote voice. And she said that was the voice of Jesus Christ. However, the things she communicated went very much contrary to the teachings of Jesus as recorded in the Bible. And so I contend that Helen Shookman was not in communication with the real Jesus, but rather a false Jesus. The Bible talks about that. Paul wrote that sometimes a false gospel can be presented by another Jesus who presents another gospel, and the word gospel means good news. But out of this series of channeled communications— something was birthed called A Course in Miracles. This book is extremely popular among New Agers. It was published in 1975 by the Foundation for Inner Peace. The Foundation for Inner Peace, seeking to find rest in your souls. Everyone wants that. 
And Jesus, that I'll talk about a lot more later, said, come unto me, all you that labor. You're laboring under this tense anxiety, these divisive relationships. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And he said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Now, Helen Shookman died in 1981, and seven years later, in 1988, William Thetford died. But their ideas lived on, and there's Course in Miracle groups that meet all over the world. Now, let me reference some of the doctrine that they teach. Shookman insists, and this is a quote, and I can give you the exact page from the book in which it appears. And uh, in fact, I will put an article on our website with these quotes. Referencing Christian doctrine, Helen Shookman said, the crucifixion had no part in the atonement. And the word atonement means a covering for sin, a covering for sin. Instead, she taught that when we forgive ourselves or when we extend forgiveness to others, we perpetuate the atonement. So it's up to us. It's, she said this, and this is another quote, forgiveness is for God and toward God, but not of him. It is impossible to think of anything he created that could need forgiveness. Forgiveness then is an illusion, a kind of happy fiction, a way in which the unknowing bridge the gap between their perception and the truth, end of quote. So according to her, believing that you can receive forgiveness from God is a delusion, and it's a fictional idea that creates a kind of uh, surface happiness, but it's not real. I differ with that opinion, and I'll tell you why later on. Now, she ties in the second coming of Jesus with this idea of forgiving others. Listen to it. Helen Shookman said, and again, I want to emphasize, she said that these ideas were communicated to her by a voice that she labeled Jesus Christ. But he would not have said these things because they go contrary to what he communicates in the Bible. But listen, quote, Christ's second coming, which is sure as God, is merely the correction of mistakes and the return of sanity. It is the invitation to God's word to take illusion's place. She's not referring to the Bible when she says God's word. It is the invitation to God's word to take illusion's place, the willingness to let forgiveness rest upon all things without exception and without reverse. It needs your eyes and ears and hands and feet, and it needs your voice. And most of all, it needs your willingness. So Helen Shookman is putting forth the idea that when we forgive others and rid our lives of the tension of failed or fractious relationships, that's the second coming of Christ. Not according to the Bible. The scripture from Genesis to Revelation, when it references the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it prophesies of that grand event, it creates a picture that is absolutely spectacular. 
The Bible says, every eye shall see him. He will come in flaming fire. The light of the sun will be like the light of seven days in that moment when he heals the breach of his people. Can you imagine pure sunlight at noonday intensified seven times over? No wonder every eye will see him when he comes in flaming fire and all his holy angels and his feet descend upon the Mount of Olives. And the Bible said that mountain will split in two when he comes down on the Mount of Olives. And that's when the resurrection of the dead will take place. The dead in Christ shall rise. We which are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and changed into glorified forms forevermore. That's the second coming of Christ, not extending forgiveness to others. Of course, I will go this far that when you do share forgiveness out of a heart that's been redeemed by a relationship with the Lord Jesus, you are reintroducing his values, his nature, his spirit into this world that is so opposite to him. And so in a very limited sense, that's a continuation of the coming of the Lord the first time. But his second coming will absolutely establish the kingdom of God on earth in glory beyond description. In fact, the Bible said, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things he's prepared for those who love him. Now let's go to a new age group that is far more influential in the world than people realize, theosophy. I met one time many years ago with the vice president of the Theosophical Society and the youth leader, the international vice president, the international youth leader, and the international treasurer, and spent two hours sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. It was an incredible meeting. I don't know what the outcome was. They were not converted that day, but they certainly heard the word of God, and they were very open-hearted and very loving in the way they received me. And theosophy has been around a long time, and, and it's influenced a lot of people. Even Adolf Hitler studied the books of the founder of this theos theosophical movement, Madame Blavatsky, Helena Blavatsky. So anyway, let's go into it. The word theosophy comes from two Greek words, theos, that means God, and sophos, that means wise, or the wisdom of God, in essence, is what it means. And those who seek the wisdom of God by searching through philosophy and mystical experiences and all the religions of the world are those that would possibly be proponents of the theosophical concepts as well. They teach that their concepts can be found in numerous places, like Hinduism, Taoism, Gnosticism, even Neoplatonism. And so it's a very, it's an amalgamation of many beliefs. Helena Blavatsky formed the Theosophical Society in 1875 along with Henry Steele Olcott. And Blavatsky claimed to be in touch with spiritually evolved beings on another plane and that she was dedicated to the very things supposedly they're dedicated to, the evolution of the human race. And their teachings, or teachings they supposedly communicated to her, these ascended masters, form the basis of her belief system. And she promoted a monistic and pantheistic view 
of the universe. That means the universe is a manifestation of God and everything has a divine essence. I wanted you to get a little background information before I tell you what she taught about forgiveness. Now, her successor was Annie Besson. And as the new spiritual leader of the society after Helena Blavatsky died in 1891, she became the president. And uh, then in 1907, Henry Steele Olcott passed away. And she was quite involved in not only theosophy, but in governmental and educational work in India. And it was Annie Besant who introduced Jiddu Krishnamurti as the Messiah, the new grand world teacher of this age, uh, a position he later refuted and uh, refused. And they also teach liberation coming through uh, canceling out all your negative karma and achieving release from the cycle of rebirth through the process of reincarnation. And it's salvation by self-effort. Now, remember, the Theosophical Society is a very strong foundational group for all of the New Age movements that have uh, emerged since, or at least they have ties to it. Now, listen to what Annie Besant, or Besant taught that seekers after truth must do. She said they must surrender. Are you ready for this? They must surrender all the fallacious ideas of forgiveness and vicarious atonement, divine mercy, and the rest of the opiates which superstition offers to the sinner. Vicarious atonement means Jesus suffering in the place of those who have sinned. He became sin for us, the Bible said. So all the sins of the entire human race vicariously were placed upon him when he went to the cross. She said that's just an opiate of the people, some kind of superstitious state of mind. Listen to what Helena Blavatsky taught. She said that beliefs like that, like the Christian beliefs I just voiced, are dangerous dogma, and that in all reality, every ego becomes its own savior. Whoa, every ego becomes its own savior. I believe you need to dethrone your ego. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, he must deny self in order to follow me. But she says, your ego will be your savior. And when asked if God could forgive sin in an interview, Blavatsky responded, this is what Christianity teaches and what we combat. Wow. She was fighting against the very things she needed and every human being needs. She also rejected the notion of God's mercy being boundless and unfathomable. She said, human beings do not need mercy. They need enlightenment. And every noble thought and every unselfish deed are stepping stones to higher and more glorious planes of being. So, that worldview wipes out the need for forgiveness from God altogether. It's a happy fiction, they taught. What about the United Church of Religious Science, which is a New Thought Church? And there's many other churches in the New Thought movement. Uh, I visited one in Los Angeles many years ago, the Up Church in Los Angeles. It was pastored by Della Reese, the woman 
who was a producer of the Touched by the Angel series and one of its main stars. And uh, they covered some very important and heart-touching subjects in that series, but misrepresented truth because receiving forgiveness from God is not an issue in New Thought. Now listen to what uh, Dr. Ernest Holmes had to say. That belief system, by the way, is based on the idea that the human mind is an expression of the universal mind, and the universe is the physical manifestation of the universal mind, and we are a part of that. We are one with it all. It's a monistic kind of way of looking at things. The universe and I are one according to that worldview. Dr. Ernest Holmes published his beliefs in the book called The Science of Mind in 1926. And in 1949, the church was formed. Listen to what he said about forgiveness. We have tried to show that there is no sin but a mistake and no punishment but a consequence. The law of cause and effect. Sin is merely missing the mark. God does not punish sin. That's what he said. God does not punish sin as we correct our mistakes. We forgive our own sins. I'm glad I discovered that I'm not the source of my own forgiveness. And he also said this, true salvation comes only through true enlightenment, through a more conscious and more complete union of our lives with the invisible. But that union is not available except through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me, John 14, 26. He was either an egomaniac that should be utterly rejected, or he was exactly who he said he was, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to come into oneness with the Father. But Dr. Ernest Holmes said, when an individual recognizes his true union with the infinite. In other words, he believed you're already one with the infinite, but you've got to recognize it. Then you become the Christ. You don't appeal to Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness from sin. You become the Christ. Hmm. Let's move out of that worldview to another. Judaism. We're getting much closer to the truth. The capstone of the Jewish view of man is his ever-present opportunity and need for repentance and forgiveness. That is absolutely a capstone of Judaism. And if he repents in sincerity, Jews believe a person is immediately forgiven. So rightness with God, which is always available, however is especially available on a special day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the 10th day of the seventh month. And that's when every sincere and dedicated Jewish person is going to be all the more minded about repenting and asking for forgiveness to come from God. But how do you obtain that forgiveness and how can you be sure that it's available for you? Christianity gives that insight alone. However, there's many branches of Christianity, and one of them is Catholicism. I was raised Catholic. And in Catholicism, in order to be forgiven, you have to go to penance. 
That involves going in a booth and on the other side of a screen sits the priest and you confess your sins to the priest. The priest grants you absolution, absolving you of your sin, and then gives you penance where you're supposed to, usually it involves saying a certain number of prayers in order to atone for your sins, so to speak, or at least show your sincerity. You don't purchase forgiveness by repeating those prayers, but you show your sincerity in asking for forgiveness. However, that's based on the idea of an exclusive priesthood, and the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that every believer is a priest. We are all a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2.5. We are all a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. And there's no scripture that says you have to go to a priest to receive forgiveness for your sin. That is not found in the Bible. But we can go directly to the Lord Jesus ourselves and be forgiven. Now listen to what the angel said about Jesus when the angel visited Joseph to explain to him why Mary was pregnant. The angel appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Praise God. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Either that's true and the whole world should flock to that revelation, or that's false and the whole world should shun it. And of course, I believe the former. The angel Gabriel never told us we could save ourselves or forgive ourselves, but that the Messiah would forgive us and save us from our sins. When Jesus was on the earth preaching, he told his listeners to repent and believe the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And the good news is that there is a pathway that leads to the forgiveness of sins. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, and this is a key to this revelation, if we confess our sins, not harboring them in our heart and guarding them and ignoring them or not dealing with them, but if we confess our sins, he, speaking of God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So not only does God forgive, God cleanses. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, and he hinged receiving forgiveness from God to something else that's very important. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And then he went on to explain, if you forgive men their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. So now it becomes absolutely essential not to bypass that second aspect of what I started out talking about. Yes, you can receive forgiveness from God, but you cannot be oblivious to forgiving others. When Jesus commissioned Paul, and I'm just about to end, when he 
manifested himself to Saul, who was later to become Paul the Apostle, when he was on his way to put Christians in prison and even stone them. He was very minded against Christianity. The Lord Jesus appeared to him, turned him around to a different worldview in a moment's time, and he said that he was commissioning Paul to turn Gentiles, to turn others from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins. That was what dominated Paul's message. And he said that in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And if Jesus would forgive a man that was actually consenting to the death, to the stoning of Christians, and yet Paul was forgiven when he saw the Lord Jesus, his sins were washed away, then he can forgive any of you. And I urge you, even if you're of another worldview, if you're Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or a Shintoist, I urge you to call on the name of Jesus and ask him to come to you. Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for the sins of humanity. You became sin for us. And I claim your blood washing my sins clean. And I choose to forgive others of all the evil, of all the hurt, of all the harm they've ever done against me. And while you forgive me of my sins, I forgive them of their sins against me. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do is what you said on the cross. And so you set the pattern, Lord Jesus. And now I am called to forgive others as well. You pray a prayer like that, your life will change forever. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.